Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. I'm Kira Smith, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Marcus Engel, who is a renowned healthcare speaker, author, and compassion consultant. Marcus has written four books and hosts the Compassion and Courage Conversations in Healthcare podcast. Marcus, such an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. Likewise, it's good to be with you. So to start off, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and your personal experience with receiving compassion in the healthcare setting. I'd like to, you know, introduce yourself a little bit as well. Okay, sure. So, so I am uh, I'm 48 years old. I live in Orlando, Florida. I am a native of St. Louis, and my my work in healthcare doesn't come from any kind of clinical expertise. I uh, I entered the world of healthcare whenever I was a 18 year old college freshman. Friends and I were going home from a hockey game one night and got broadsided by a drunk driver. That vehicle crash not only took 100% of my sight instantaneously and permanently, but uh, I also received what's called a Lafort three fracture, which if you're not a clinician, you may uh, not know is means pretty much every bone from the hairline through the chin was fractured. Uh, so a ton of damage and a lot of recovery and rehab until I could get back on my on my feet again. My work these days really revolves around compassionate care and presence in healthcare. And so the 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 primary story, the foundational story, is the night that I was rolled into the emergency department. There was a twenty year old tech who held my hand the whole night and gave me just the most comfort I think I could have received in that time by simply saying, I'm here, you know, Marcus, I'm here. And the meaning behind that is Marcus, you're not alone. You're in this vulnerable situation, but you are not alone. I'm here with you. And so my work these days is to remind healthcare professionals, the, the power that they have to be present during a patient's time of suffering. And it's not just patients, right? Because we know that uh, that illnesses and injuries don't just happen to patients, they happen to families. And so I remind them to not only have that grace and compassion with their patients, but also with the patient's families. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. I'm here is such a powerful thing to say and to hear. It's incredible that it's really, you know, serves as a springboard for all of this work. And when Jennifer said those words to me as she held my hand, this wasn't something that she learned in school, right? This is just human being to human being, uh, witnessing another person's suffering, being present for it and trying to do something about it. That is what the definition of compassion is. That's a definition that we use with uh, with my pre-meds at Notre Dame. And it, it just, it, it all comes down to it's as complicated and as simple as just being there, being in the moment. Absolutely. So talking about compassion, you mentioned that you're a compassion consultant or a compassion expert. What exactly does this term mean? That's a good question, because whenever you think of uh, someone who's a compassion expert, I would immediately return to the thrilling days of yesteryear with some of our spiritual gurus of uh, people that we know are super compassionate, such as Jesus, such as uh, the Buddha. And I, I certainly can't put myself in that 
the same category with those folks, because as much as I am always striving to be compassionate, I am human and I fail consistently. But what I think I do have is, is that expertise of having had these experiences and I'm able to translate these experiences into something that people can learn from. That's always been my work in going out and speaking around the country is always trying to bring more compassion into the workplace, more compassion into healthcare so that if there are any patients out there who ever have to go through something as, as incredibly tragic and life-changing as I had to go through, that they also have those empathetic, present, compassionate caregivers by their sides. Mm-hmm. So the other part of that compassion expertise comes from the fact that uh, about 10 years ago, I got a master's in a field called narrative medicine. Uh, this is, uh, at the time, it was the only narrative medicine master's program in the country, and that was at Columbia University in New York. And what we really learn in narrative medicine is how to actively listen to the experiences of others. And then we respond instead of react. So we're listening to the experiences of others and being present for those. Uh, Between those personal experiences, the lived experiences in the academic background, and teaching these kinds of things around the country. I suppose that's where we get this idea of a compassion expert, but please don't put me in a, in the same category with any gurus or anything like that. (laughs) Right. I find it fascinating though, that narrative medicine is a a field of study. And that's something that people can really make a part of their education. Absolutely. Probably 50% of my classmates were either MDs or they were going to become doctors. And that, that lets me know that we're training up a whole new generation of doctors who really are listening to understand and fully provide that holistic care for patients, not just uh, we treat them like a, a, a factory and get patients in and out the door as quick as possible, but actually being present for those patients. That's really amazing that it's something that can actually be incorporated into into training and into patient care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's my my focus has always been with nurses, but uh, and and teaching nurses how to use journaling and therapeutic reflective writing as a, a a way to ward off compassion fatigue and burnout and to stay more present. Uh, that's always been my focus in narrative medicine. But my colleagues in narrative med are also teaching. Uh, fine arts and film production and uh, theatrical production, all different slants of the humanities and arts that mix with medicine and healthcare. And I, it's just, it's just really uh, interesting and fun work to be part of. That really is incredible. Yeah. So I'm sure that in all the all the considerations of the clinical setting, obviously it's chaotic at times. I'm sure that compassion is something that can be kind of put on the back burner, so to speak, in light of all the considerations. To that point, can you tell us a little bit about what exactly the implications are of compassion in the healthcare setting and how it really affects patients in their care? Well, I know it affects patients like me to think that their their care team members are all working together hand in hand to create a seamless experience. And I think we we patients who go into hospitalization or into treatment of any sort, uh, we, we're not 
privy to the ins and outs, the behind the scenes of, of medicine. And so how do we, how do we as patients, as consumers, how do we go into this really vulnerable uh, time or, or fearful time? How do we go into it and feel held and secure? And part of that is relying on the fact that we expect that we will get as quality of healthcare as we can, right? Nobody goes into the hospital uh, or into treatment thinking, well, you know, I, I hope it only is, is half good. I'll be satisfied with half good, right? We want the absolute quality, but we also need kindness and compassion uh, built into that. And that's for the patient, the, the user, the consumer experience, but it's also for the experience of the caregivers and the medical professionals. The, the more compassion we have to our patients, the more compassion we're going to have with our colleagues, our subordinates, our <laughs> superiors, et cetera. And so it, it's, it's not just me saying this. I, I point to Stephen Trezniak's book, Compassionomics, to make a great argument for why compassion shouldn't be put on the back burner in healthcare, and it really should be front and center of everything that we do in healthcare. Absolutely. And like you said, it definitely trickles down the line and it can affect, you know, so many different levels. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so my next question for you has to do with the fact um, that our audience uh, primarily consists of clinicians, um, including physicians, nurses, pharmacists, you name it. Um, so how can our audience take some of these insights and these messages about compassion that you're sharing and apply it to their practice? First of all, just to remember that patients, typically patients, unless it's just a routine uh, appointment or for something very, very minor, typically patients are in a vulnerable spot when they're seeing a clinician. Uh, even if they're perfectly healthy and it's just an annual checkup to, to hear how good you're doing, patients are still vulnerable, right? We still go into a doctor's office. Oftentimes we're not wearing our own clothing anymore. We're, we're out of our element. Uh, we feel like people are judging us for our weight on the scale or the amount of medicine that we take, et cetera, et cetera. And so how do we, how do we apply this? Just to first and foremost realize that patients are in a vulnerable state. And whenever we can respond with kindness and compassion to that vulnerability, as opposed to just going through the motions and trust me, we're all human, right? We all go through the motions from time to time. But if we can remember that patients are suffering and vulnerable and afraid, um, that's that's where I think we're staying connected to who we truly are as human beings when we respond appropriately to another human being's vulnerability. Absolutely. Very important to keep in mind. Yeah. My next question for you is kind of a unique one from your perspective as a seeing eye dog handler. So what has your experience been with having James with you at doctor's appointments? For the most part, have you found providers to be welcoming? Have you encountered any barriers in receiving care? And I'll also take that one step further to ask for healthcare workers who may or may not be familiar with the rights of service dog users. Do you have any particular advice for them for caring for a patient who comes in with a service animal? This is a great question. And I'm not an expert in this field. Okay. This is, this is really kind of out of my realm of expertise, but I have had a CNI dog by my side for the last 25, 28 years. So I've been through a lot of doctor's appointments 
uh, only one time have I ever had a barrier of a a provider that did not want to treat me because I had a dog in the clinic. And that was only one time. And of course, I never went back to that clinician. Uh, in fact, I don't think I even had that first appointment. My idea was, well, if you don't want my dog, then you don't want my business either. So, uh, so in the clinic, realized that, that these dogs, service dogs specifically, are doing a job. They're doing a specific job to help out someone who has a disability, and they've been specially trained to do this. Uh, I have, I've never had my dogs in the hospital with me. I'm very fortunate that I have a wide network of family and friends, and that makes uh, things easier for me. When I've been hospitalized, I've been able to leave my dog at home uh, under someone else's care that I that I trust. But I do know plenty of people who have had their dogs in the hospital with them. And oftentimes nurses or doctors may uh, be a little afraid of that, right? There could be dog phobias. There could be fear that, that this dog is going to uh, urinate or defecate in the room, uh, all kinds of fears. But this is where trained service dogs don't do that kind of stuff, right? Trained service dogs are have had uh, months, if not years of education to make sure that they are well-behaved in every scenario. And so whenever I have, uh, whenever I've taken a dog into a doctor's appointment, usually it's with a positive reception, if there's any reception for the dog at all. Everybody, I think we know that the vast majority of Americans have dogs and love dogs. So I don't find it to be a, a real, there's there's not a real barrier other than one instance in nearly 30 years. Anywhere the public goes, the dog can go. That's a great analogy too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess as we wrap up a little bit, for healthcare providers who are listening today who are interested in learning more about how they can embrace compassion in their practice or learning more about the different types of education that you share or that you're invested in, where do you recommend that they can go to delve into this topic further? Well, there's a lot of different places. For for my information, go to marcusengel.com, M-A-R-C-U-S-E-N-G-E-L.com. And you can learn a little bit more about the compassion training that I do with medical groups and hospitals and healthcare systems and colleges, universities. Uh, the other thing that you can certainly do is just Google narrative medicine to learn more about the work of narrative med. And then lastly, I would, I would turn you to my podcast, which is Compassion and Courage, Conversations in Healthcare. And on there, I interview experts like yourself. I also interview survivors and those who have any kind of connection to compassion in a healthcare setting. So I hope you'll check the podcast out and uh, yeah, drop me a line when you do. Amazing. Well, this has been so wonderful hearing more about compassion and how not only clinicians can incorporate into their care, but how any of us can incorporate it just into our daily life and the people we interact with. So thank you so much again for coming on today. This is all incredible to hear about. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on.